0: With you here this morning in the house of the Lord. It's a privilege to bring you the Word of God, the, the life changing Word of God. May the Holy Spirit open up our spiritual eyes this morning and may we be transformed as He illuminates the Word to us today. So we just say, Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Come, you have your way in this place. Come and have your way in our lives. Refresh us, replenish us, and strengthen us. And all God's people said, Amen. So, this give God a, a great shout of praise as we take our seats this morning? Can we give our worship team a round of applause? So church, this morning we are kicking off a brand new series that we'll be covering over the next couple of weeks and... The name of the series is Humility. We'll be covering the topic of humility um, over the next couple of weeks with loads of scripture to back it up. So I'd like to encourage you to download the audio sermons as Frankie so eloquently put this morning. And yes, Frankie, I do use a lot of, what do you call them, wet bobs? I like clean hands, okay? I'd like to encourage you to download these sermons, to listen to it again, because it is difficult to really absorb everything when you only listen to it once. And church, I believe this is a topic that if we really grasp it, if we take it for ourselves, we will see, we will set us free, it will set us free from many of the vices in our life. Those things that hold us captive and it will set us up for significant spiritual growth. So this series and today may come across as more of a teaching than a preaching, but we know that teaching is part of the far ministry, and whatever happens in this time that we, we share together in this series, I just trust that the Lord will empower us for greater works. Amen? Isn't it that the purpose of God's Word, church? To empower us and to set us free from the things that so easily ensnare us? To illuminate the truth? And as we go through the series, church, I want to point out that there may be things that will challenge our thinking, or perhaps even our lifestyles. But you see, that's what the Word of God does. And the purpose is always to bring us into liberty, to bring us into the light, so that we don't get lost in this world of darkness. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, it says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. It tells us that there is a warfare out there that is coming against us. All around you as the Christian, and the Christian world is an onslaught of demonic, invisible evil that will manifest itself in the tangible, physical world that you and I live in. And you know what? Just think of it for a moment. We come into this world physically, we have a physical body, but the Bible tells us that we war spiritually in an invisible world, right? And behind this drama of life, behind the, the drama of relationships behind the issues of business or the problems of ministry or family or whatever you're facing right now is that you know that something's going on. Something doesn't quite, you know, gel. And oftentimes nothing makes sense. The Bible says that there is a spiritual world in play and it is warring against your soul. And the Bible tells us that we need to stay close to God. We need to to hang on to Him because we are the pilgrims. We are the sojourners and this is not our world. This is not our home. And so, church, as we cover a topic like humility, it is going to go against the grain of what this world esteems to. It's going to go against the flesh. It's going to go against the the rulers of the darkness of this world, and there will be serious warfare against your soul. I don't want to scare you this morning, but I want us to be, be prepared mentally, but also spiritually. Take the time to listen to the series again. Study the Word of God, study the Scriptures, and pray and pray. And when you're done, pray some more, so that the Lord can deliver us into the liberty that He wants for your life and for mine. Amen? So I'm excited to get into the topic this morning, and today we will be focusing on humility, breaking the spirit of pride. Breaking the spirit of pride because If we're going to be humble in all our ways, we first need to break the spirit of pride in our lives. So turn with me this morning to the the gospel of Luke chapter number 17. As we go into the teaching of our Lord Jesus in the final months of his life as he approaches Jerusalem to die and to rise again. He's been on this journey since chapter 9 and he will arrive in Jerusalem in the 19th chapter. And during this time, he focuses on teaching the gospel of the kingdom, and he does that to very large crowds of people. He's not moving in a direct line to Jerusalem. It wouldn't take him that long, just a few days, because the land of Israel is quite small. But he is crossing the land back and forth, up and down from town to village to the city to the countryside, everywhere he can go to preach the gospel of the kingdom to perform miracles, to cast out demons and to lay convincing evidence that He is the Messiah who brings the message of repentance, salvation and the offer of the kingdom. And along the way, He attracts very large crowds of people. In fact, in Luke chapter number 12, it says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered, you guys can put that scripture up if you got it there, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so that they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And the scripture church here would indicate that there were multiple tens of thousands of people that that came to hear Jesus. And he was speaking to those crowds, preaching to the, the widest possible audience of the in the land of Israel, the gospel, gospel of salvation and the kingdom of God. But at the same time, while he's speaking to these large crowds of people, his, his focus starts to, to narrow to two particular groups of people. And he goes back and forth between directing his teaching at, his, at the disciples who are his followers, whom he's grooming for, for future ministry, and the Pharisees and the scribes who were the guardians of the existing Jewish religion. They were the spreaders of the reigning theology of Israel that dominated the land in the minds of the people because they had practiced their religion in the synagogues. And there was a a synagogue in every place where there was even a small group of Jewish people. And so it is that Jesus' focus is directed on the one hand at the disciples and on the other hand at the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the the marked false religionists, the false teachers of the day against whom Jesus shows the, the contrast of true discipleship. And you see, everything that they were, he wanted them not to be. But everything they were not, he wanted them to become. And so these two groups are dramatically contrasted against one another. And Jesus is drawing a major distinction to his disciples between the two groups. And what we learn from Jesus' words is that the Pharisees predominantly could be marked by pride. They were marked by pride. They were proud of their religious achievement and attainment. They loved the chief seats. They loved to take the high place in the synagogues. They loved to have the best table at the banquet. They loved to be called names of dignity and honor. And they loved to believe that they were better than other people. They looked down on other people. Everything that they did, whether whether it was their praying or their their fasting or their giving, any kind of behavior, even the way that they moved around, even the way that they dressed, right, all displayed this self-exaltation. And you see that they had this pride that said that they had achieved spiritual knowledge. They had achieved a relationship with God. They had merited by their works and their self-righteousness and acceptance with God and they were the models of religion. They were the true guardians of that which was divine. And they were the ones that had the right to teach the scripture or at least according to them. They were assisted of course by their partners in crime, the the, the scribes who came alongside the Pharisees who did the study work and developed the, the system of theology that they taught. And you see, Jesus is drawing a very clear comparison in the final months of his life as he goes back and forth in the scripture between these two groups. And he's always speaking to his disciples on how not to live their lives in comparison to the Pharisees. You see, the life of the Pharisees could be summed up as a manifestation of pride. But Jesus was calling for the complete opposite of that, humility. And you see, church, the defining character of a Pharisee is pride, but the defining character of a disciple of Jesus Christ is humility. And what did Jesus call us to do? To go and make disciples of all nations. So if we're going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, our main character that, we, that needs to flow through us is one of Humility. And as we go through Luke chapter 17 today, we will see that humility really is the subject here. The word humility isn't mentioned once in this scripture, but what Jesus says to his disciples in this chapter defines the essence and behavior of humility. And there are four things that Jesus points out here that we'll go into some more detail today. We'll cover mostly two of those and the rest in next week's sermon. And he says to his disciples, number one, You are to restrain from offending. Humble people restrain from offending others. Number two, he says, you are are to be ready to forgive. Humble people are eager to forgive. Thirdly, he says to them, you need to recognize your weakness. You need to recognize that you do not have it all together and that you haven't arrived yet in life. Right? And lastly, he says to them, you are to reject honor as unworthy servants. And this is all the absolute opposite of the Pharisaic religion. You see, the Pharisees had developed this outrageous spiritual practices to an art form. The Pharisees had no thought of forgiveness. They had nothing but disrespect and disapproval towards sinners. They despised sinners. They wouldn't even associate with sinners or teach them the law. They wouldn't even allow them in their homes or be seen with so-called sinners. They had nothing but contempt for these people. And mercilessly, without grace, they offered them no forgiveness. They also had no interest in recognizing their own weaknesses. Because if they did that, it would be a self-confessed statement about their spiritual failure. And lastly, they wanted to exalt themselves. They were e- eager to receive honor from everyone they could get it from as often as possible. And you see, church, Jesus goes to great length to, d- to describe to his disciples what he required from them to live a life of humility by showing them exactly what it's not. And why? Why did Jesus go to such great length to, to explain this to his disciples? Why was this issue of pride so important to him? Because church, what we realize, and God says in Scripture over and over again, he hates pride. God resists proud people. God punishes proud people. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, the Scripture says, He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Now, that statement is repeated twice in the New Testament. It is repeated by James in chapter 4, verse 6, and repeated by Peter the Apostle in 1 Peter 5, 5, where it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Put up the next one. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, church, pride leads to the, the list of attitudes that God hates. On the other hand, Humility leads the list of attitudes that, that God loves. God hates pride. He loves humility. And we'll see why God places such emphasis on humility as we go through this series. So when Jesus began to preach the gospel and to preach entrance into His kingdom, the main issue was to humble yourself. To step down from your proud perch of religious pride and achievement and satisfaction and works righteousness, which was the the practice of the day, and to humble yourself. That's why he launches his evangelistic preaching by saying, repent. Jesus says, repent. And the dominant sin to repent of is pride. And that's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know that they are spiritually destitute, those that know that they are spiritually bankrupt. And Jesus continually calls for this, this total humiliation. And that's essentially what he meant when he said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He was calling for this total self-denial. At church, I know this is hard for us to hear. I know this is difficult for us to hear this. We don't want to hear words like humiliation and and self-denial and being lowly when it comes to us. It's hard to hear that. But God is so, so serious about this because pride is the sin that got Satan thrown out of heaven. Pride is the sin that got Adam and Eve thrown out of Eden. And pride is always the dominant force in sin. Because every sin that you commit that violates God's will, God's law, and God's glory is an act of personal rebellion and behavior against God. And so it's an act of pride. So if, if pride leads the list of devices in life, then humility leads the list of virtues. I get, I get it that it's hard, church. I get that it's hard for us to hear this because we've been taught our whole lives to, you know, to be the best at everything. To be better than everyone else. To win at everything and that you have to push yourself for position in life, you know, to get to the top, to seek what's best for me, you know, what's best for us. Not loneliness, not self-denial, not self-hatred, not self-sacrifice, submission, and obedience. And that's why Jesus gives a living illustration of the exact opposite of that, the Pharisees. And what he says to to his disciples is, is, this is the kind of behavior I want from you. Contrary to the Pharisees, restrain from offending anyone. Right? Contrary to the Pharisees, be ready to forgive. Contrary to the Pharisees, recognize your weakness. And contrary to the Pharisees, reject honor. Contrary. It's like complete opposites. And Jesus deals with these four features, these four marks of true humility. Number one, humble people are restrained from offending others. Jesus says in Luke chapter 17, verse 1 and 2 it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. That's a very strong statement right there. So it's probably one of the, the strongest warnings that you'll find in the Bible. And he says to his disciples, it will be better for you to die right now than for you to offend one of these little ones, for you to lead one of these little ones astray. And who are these little ones that he's talking about? Matthew chapter 18 is a parallel teaching from Jesus on this in more detail. And here he says that these little ones who believe in me. You see, this specifically, Jesus is talking about his disciples. He's not talking about children. He's not talking about infants. He's talking about the believers that are spiritually young. And you see, Jesus has just been teaching the gospel of the kingdom for the first time through his ministry. And for some of these people, they're just now hearing it. They're just now understanding it they're just not embracing it and believing it and they are spiritual children they're little ones in terms of spiritual development and Jesus is very protective over his little ones that's why he says in Matthew chapter 18 verse 6 but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth." of the sea that's how serious it is to jesus as in luke 1 he says woe to you if you offend one of these little ones you see they're so precious to him it's it's like a shepherd if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray doesn't he leave the 99 of the mountain to go find the one that has gone astray and when he finds the one doesn't he rejoice more on that little one that has gone astray than the ones that have not so it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones be devastated or go astray. Church, how we treat other believers is very important to God. And those that put stumbling blocks in front of believers, in front of, especially in front of young believers, is very serious to God. Church, you know, let's face it this morning. The world is full of stumbling blocks. They're all over the place to seduce us into making mistakes. They're in all of the places to seduce us into the false teaching of the Scripture, the false understanding of God, and the false um, way that we should be living our lives as Christians. And there are temptations laid out there directly or indirectly to, to drive us towards sin, right? That's the type of society we're living in today. And it's only getting worse. And there are all kinds of bad examples and all kinds of things that lead us away from righteousness. The world is just filled with them. And we of all generations are being exposed to them in ways that previous generations are not. And I know that every generation will say that theirs is worse than the one before. I get that. But let me explain. Do you know there was a time in the world where you had to see the sinner do the sin to see sin? So for you to see sin, you actually had to see someone do the sin, right? Now you can see the sin at home, pumped up into your house on your television, right? You can read the ugly details of the sinner or his sin in a, in a book or a magazine. Now you can experience it constantly in a bombardment of images, right? I think you know what I'm talking about. Just think of how much more you are aware of sin today because of your access to the internet, to social media, what we watch on television, and what we listen to on the radio. It's a different world, church. And there are all kinds of temptations to evil. It's inevitable that they come, but woe to him through whom they do come. And church, remember, Jesus is warning in this scripture about the behavior of the Pharisees here. Because they're going around saying that Jesus is not the Messiah. He's not the expected one. And they said that he did what he did by the power of Satan. They damned Jesus as Satanic. And they were putting hindrances in front of people, making them stumble over their faith in Jesus. Everywhere they, where they go, they, sh- uh, they shut up. They were in the crowd spreading their lies through the crowd, saying he's not the Messiah, he's not the chosen one. And they tried to destroy him. And you see, church... They weren't just causing people who believed in Him, who are desiring to believe in Him, to fall into sin just like them. They were causing them to reject the truth concerning Christ. Very serious. And this is the main issue of the Scripture. That's why Jesus had such disdain for the Pharisees. That's why He says in Matthew chapter 23, verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites... For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. Wow. And church, isn't that really the main aim of what's been pushed into our faces every day? On the internet, social media, television, and radio? I'm not saying everything. I don't want to be an extremist, but a lot of the stuff that, that comes our way. Isn't that the aim to get us to fall into patterns of sin that lead us away from the way, the truth, and the life of Christ? You know, we have been bombarded daily with human rights on, and how to, this world needs to accept the differences in certain social or sexual preferences. And slowly but surely, society has been desensitized to the truth. Sadly, a large portion of the church is, is heading in the same way. Church, let me tell you something this morning. The world is at war with what we believe in. There is a spiritual battle that is taking place that is going on in the unseen that is playing itself out in the natural. There's a battle going on, right? And you know the battleground isn't homosexuality, it isn't transgenderism, it isn't secularism or anything else that stands up blatantly in the face of our Christian faith. The battleground is your faith. It's your faith. It's who we believe in. And you see, that's what the enemy wants. He wants our faith. So just like back then, there are things and people today that are trying to lead us into sin and away from Jesus. There are proud people and uh, creating proud systems and proud societies that want to destroy the core of what we stand for. And you know, if you want to stand up to those people, they're going to tell you that they've got a Right? They've got a right to say what they want to say, do what they want to do, and live their lives in any which way, even if it leads to destruction. But they don't want you, as a Christian, they don't want you to have any rights anymore. The battleground is our faith. It's not all this other peripheral stuff that's, that's playing itself out. Church, are you learning something today? I want to give you as much context as I can so we can break the spirit of pride. We want to kill this thing, amen? So, as we pursue humility, church, in our lives, we must remember that we should not offend. We don't live our lives in an offensive way. We seek to set a godly example and always speak that which is true. Why? So that we may aid the spiritual growth of others and not hinder them. And it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect and that you're not going to mess up along the way. It's the posture of our hearts, it's the attitude of our hearts, it's the posture of humility. And you know what, if you start with the right intentions, if you mess up along the way, it's, it's usually easier to get back on track, right? So church, Jesus places huge importance on this, on humility. Number one, humble people are restrained from offending. Number two, secondly, humble people are ready to forgive. We don't want to cause an offense or cause people to sin, but when they do sin, when they sin we are also eager and ready to forgive let's look at verse 3 and 4 together it says take heed to yourselves if your brother sins against you rebuke him and if he repents forgive him and if he sins against you 7 times in a day and 7 times in a day he returns to you saying i repent you shall forgive him very clear you shall <laughs> Now, the first point we focused on would indicate that we have a hatred of sin. Whether it's sin sin in terms of religion or false religion or sin in terms of behavior. We hate sin because God hates sin. We don't want to teach anything that is contrary to the Word of God. We don't want to live anything that is contrary to the Word of God. We teach the truth and live holy lives. So we take a strong position against sin, but that needs to be balanced off. Why do I say that? Because... We're dealing in a world of sinners. We are still all fallen creatures. We still sin, right? And we have to have, even on the the one hand we hate sin, we have to, on the other hand, have grace towards the sinner. Right? And so humble believers do not give offense, but neither do they take offense. Very important. Humble believers do not sin against others, but neither do they hold a grudge against others when they sin against them so we don't lead people into sin we lead them out of sin church right Where Jesus taught us how to pray in Luke chapter 14 he said and forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us so we hold up a standard of holiness in what we teach and what we live we're in some ways intolerant of sin but at the same time we are marked by forgiveness But you see, that's not all here. There's something else here in verse 3. It says, if your brother sins against you, rebuke him. You see, church, we don't cause others to sin, but when they do sin, we are always available lovingly to confront that sin because we care. Not because we're full of pride and because we're right and we want to come from a place of judgment. It's because we care. You see, the Pharisees were people that didn't care. They didn't care about sinners. When the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to them, the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, He receives sinners and even eats with them. They didn't care about the people in sin. They didn't care about rebuking them. They didn't care about restoring them, reconciling them, or even helping them. They weren't eager to restore them in love as the Apostle Paul will tell us to do. But we do. We don't lead people into sin. We lead them out of a church. And that starts with the rebuke. It starts with a, a strong warning. You know, Luke, in the, Luke gives us the principle. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. Matthew gives the process. He says, if your brother sins, you go to him. And if he repents, you, you gain a brother. If he doesn't repent, you take two or three with you so that you can confront front his sin again and confirm his response. If he still doesn't repent, you tell the church. Now that's the concern that the holy people have for the debilitating sins that find their way into the congregation. That find their way into the fellowship. And this is always done out of love. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted church we all sin and fall short of the glory of God so we're not perfect we haven't arrived yet and you know what if, you, if someone sins and you're full of pride you'll say well they deserve it they don't want to listen they must go they must face the consequences of their actions on their own right that's if you're full of pride but humility says we don't sit by and watch some sinner go off in a pattern of sin without caring So Luke gives the principle, Matthew gives the process, and if they don't repent, it says says, then treat them like an outcast. Treat them like a tax collector. Treat them like someone that, that doesn't belong. I know that's harsh, but there's reason for that. And you know, church, maybe some people don't repent. Maybe the pride is so strong that it prevents them from getting to a place of repentance. And the Bible says if that's the case... In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. You see, their pride may even take them to a place where they need, they need to be turned over for the destruction of their flesh, so that their spirit can be saved. You see, there's a, there's a point where we put them out. Because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right? Their sin will produce rot right in the church and we put them out. And this is a pattern of sin, of dealing with sin, that is laid down in Scripture repeatedly. At church, why do we go through this process? Why do we do this for our brother and our sister? Because we love them, right? Not because we're coming from a place of, of pride and we, we've got it all together and we have all the answers. It's because we love them, because we know that sin is not good for them and it's not good for the church, right? And this is loving confrontation. It's a humble process that can deliver men and women from sin if pride doesn't get in the way. Just by the way, not every sin needs to be confronted. Let's not take this whole thing of correcting your brother or your sister too far. (laughs) Because love covers a multitude of sins, right? Amen? (laughs) Amen. It's those, sins that, those sinful patterns, it's those sins that are destructive that need to be addressed. It doesn't mean that every time you say a bad word or every time you fail to do something you should have done or you slip up here or there that, you know, somebody has to come and confront you and correct you. You know, it doesn't mean because my brother in Christ is a Man United supporter or a Bull supporter, I have to confront him and correct him. Love covers a multitude of sins, Right? <laughs> i had to put that in there sorry love covers even that my brother <laughs> love covers a multitude of sin but there are some sins that love can't cover you see love has to uncover it right there are some sins for which forgiveness is completely unconditional you give it from the heart even if it's undeserved You don't even talk about it. There's many, many things like that. You know, for those of us who are married here this morning, I think we'd agree that a marriage wouldn't survive six months if we had to confront every failure in each other's lives, right? I think it would be a war zone going on there. (laughs) (laughs) Love covers. Love covers. But there are some sins that affect the life of a person in a turning sense that sends them in a new direction and also impacts the church. So church, can you start to see how pride can get in the way of a true spiritual growth in a person's life? Because if you're full of pride, you're not going to get to a place of repentance. That's why humility and repentance go hand in hand. That's the only way that we're going to move forward, truly move forward in our lives. And church, as I begin to close this morning, I want to ask you a question. How generous are we to be with forgiveness? How generous are we to be with forgiveness? Verse four says, "And if your sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, "I repent, you shall forgive him." That's a lot of forgiveness, right? Are we capable of, of having that type of forgiveness? How many times a day do you think God forgives us? I think I could least reach at least seven times by midday, right? We receive boundless forgiveness from God and He's he's always fully eager to forgive us when there's repentance and humility. So church, as we reflect on the Word today, I want to encourage us to to begin to identify things in our lives that are keeping us from a life of humility. We learned today that to live in humility means that we, we don't give an offense, we don't hold grudges, we don't look down on people with disdain, We don't belittle them. We confront them out of love and we are eager to forgive. As eager as we are to confront, that's equally how eager we are to forget. And most importantly this morning, we realize it's out of humility that by the grace of God, we find ourselves in a position to be able to correct and to do that out of love. Not by our works, only by the grace of God. There's a lot more to cover on this topic, so next week we'll carry on with a series of humility. I'll continue breaking, speaking about breaking the spirit of pride and also talk to you about how the spirit of pride and the demons that accompany it can play havoc with our lives. And we'll learn how to identify, how to attack, and to remove that spirit from our lives. Amen? Amen. Did you learn something today, church? Amen. Let's give God all the glory for His Word this morning. Can we please stand together and let's pray together and close in prayer together this morning? So Father, this morning we want to thank you for your truth that is so clear and so penetrating and so powerful. We want to thank you for your precious word today. Father, we pray that this word will change us, it will transform us, it will empower us so that we can start to walk according to the the perfect purposes and plans that you have for our lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would complete in us the work that is outside of our abilities and bring us to a place where we will operate in humility and we'll see your glory. So this morning we say we love you, we respect you, and we fear you. And Father, we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.